I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through your spirit and, and through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love, even though it surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Amazing verse out of Ephesians. Mind-blowing scripture. And the reason that I start with that today is because it's important for me to start how I intend to go on. I want to start glorifying God, and I want to continue glorifying God, and I want to start with a plea for your strength and for your faith and for your love to grow and grow. I don't know how long I'm going to be alive, but while I'm here and while I'm serving you, it will be a joy to serve, and I want to start as I intend to go on. We're in a series at the moment called Uncommon. Uncommon. We are looking at a, a, a collection of chapters uh, from a, the book of John, one of Jesus' disciples. And it's a talk Jesus is giving them before he's about to go to the cross, before he's about to give up his life and die. And he's giving them tips, if you want to take it that way, advice of how they can live in a way that will make the world sit up and take notice. Last week, we had a, an incredible message from Bryce who was talking about uncommon resilience. Uncommon resilience in the face of massive culture upheaval that looks at the teachings of Jesus and looks at the way that Christians live and go, no, no, we don't agree with that. We don't like that. And the call from Bryce, the call from the scripture was a call to resilience. And today we're looking at joy and I believe the days are apt for a call to Christian joy that also makes the world sit up and take notice. I look around the world today and I see so much that grieves the heart of God and grieves me. I look within me and I see a lot that grieves me and would grieve the heart of God. You see in our world today, truth being sacrificed for relativity. There is no moral absolutes anymore. Beyond that, there are just things that make each one of us go, God, this is not the way things are meant to be. Children getting sick. Women and children around the world still being sold as slaves. Poverty. Our prisons filled with ethnic minorities. Women being beaten up in their homes day after day. Unjust business practices that line the pockets of the wealthy. Loan sharks stripping the poor of what they already don't have. There is so much out there that is cause for grief and sorrow. And there's so much in here that is cause for grief and sorrow. I'm not who I want to be, but Jesus is making me into who he wants me to be. And, and I want us to feel that grief and sorrow here. 
Because any message on joy that is disconnected from our lived reality, this world we live in is full of grief and sorrow, any message on joy that is not connected to our lived reality is mere platitudes and trite sayings. This is not going to be a rah-rah, be happy in the Lord, you know, everything's okay message. Because that's not what Jesus has for us. What I'm hoping that I'll be able to teach from the scriptures today, we'll be able to speak into whatever you're experiencing at the moment, whatever grieves your heart. Maybe even now, bring to mind what is grieving you. Bring to mind what is causing you sorrow or pain in the world because God wants to minister to you in that today. You know, biblical joy isn't mere happiness. It's different. It's deeper. I feel like happiness is more circumstantial. Gabrielle can tell me I'm handsome and I feel happy. Um, And then Hattie can fling her food across the room onto our clean washing and that happiness is gone. True story. Um, Happiness comes and goes, right? But biblical joy is something deeper, lasting, consistent. So what is it and how do we get it? Hold fast to your seats. The Bible is full of references to joy. And if we just take a very, very quick look, I'll put some of them on the screen. Psalm 16, you will make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. In the book of Acts, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. In Romans, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And Philippians, the call to rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Joy, delight, dancing. It is The scriptures are full of it, absolutely full of it. We serve a joyful God. I've never really thought about that before. Maybe you're here today and your picture of God has been a wrathful, angry judge or someone who's just waiting for you to do something wrong. No, he is a joyful God. And Jesus today in our text is telling us about this joy that he imparts. If you have your Bibles, please open it to John chapter 16, verse 16. Otherwise, the text will also be on the screen. Jesus went on to say, he's been talking to his disciples, in a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you'll see me no more, and then after a little while, you'll see me, and because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, and so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. 
We're going to linger mainly here in verses 20 to 22 this morning, but I think it really it would be helpful to explain that when Jesus is saying, in a little while, you'll see me no more, scholars uh, kind of say there's two main things Jesus could be or is saying here. One is when he says, in a little while, you'll see me no more, he's referring to his imminent crucifixion. He's about to be murdered on a Roman cross and then into a grave for three days. His disciples would see him no more. But it can also mean Jesus' ascension into heaven. He is going to leave them and go and be with the Father, and they would see him no more. Either way, there is an absence. There is a, a goneness of Jesus where they wouldn't see him, and they would be sad. And then in a little while, you'll see me again, the same thing. It could be his coming out of the grave after a little while, then in a little while, they will see him again. Or, and it can refer to his coming again, his second coming. After a little while, we won't see him. In a little while, we'll see him again. The result is the same. The absence brings grief. The seeing him brings joy. And if I could summarize our text today, I'd say it this way. Jesus acknowledges a very real grief in his disciples but promises that he will transform that grief into a joy that cannot be taken away for them and for us. Jesus acknowledges a grief, and then he promises to transform that grief into a joy that can never be taken away. This grief, Jesus doesn't discount it. He doesn't say to his disciples, look, I'm going to I'm going to die, and you'll, you'll be a bit sad, but just, like, just get over it. I'll be coming back, okay? Don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Three days, I'll be back. Sit tight. No. He says, you're going to be sad. You are going to grieve. It is going to be painful for you. He acknowledges it, and he says, it's okay. And I imagine, try and put myself in the disciples' shoes when Jesus is telling them this. I'm going to be, you're telling me I'm going to be sad because you're going away? And then hours later when they see him there hanging on that cross, can you imagine the, the emotion? These guys had left everything to follow him, left their jobs, left their livelihood, followed him on the road every single day for three years, and he was the promised Messiah. He was the one who was going to, they thought, overthrow Rome, overthrow the powers, create this new kingdom. Everything was going to be okay. And there he is, beaten, tortured, dying on a cross. Their hope just would have been wrapped out of them. They would have had to suffer through it. Grief. I was talking with Simon Gill, who's preaching at East about this today, and he was saying, Jeremiah, I'm, I think about a football match in some ways when I think about this. Because for us, we can look back and we look at the disciples' experience and we go, oh yeah, but he rises again. Oh yeah, but it's going to be okay. They didn't have that. And it's like if you're watching a football match or a rugby match or any match and your team is down 3-0 at halftime. You're down 3-0. You have no idea how that game is going to turn out. You have to sit through the second half. Anyone watch the All Blacks last night? <laughs> I didn't. Praise Jesus. <laughs> You have to sit through the second half and the agony and the grief and, oh, are they going to come back? Are they going to do it? You have that emotion. When, for the other people who haven't watched the game and they get the result and they can watch the highlights package, if they watch the game, they're at 
peace, depending on the result, or <laughs> they don't have to sit through the turmoil of, ah, oh, is my team going to come back and win or not? This is the experience for the disciples. They don't know how it's going to end, but we do. And the wonderful thing about Jesus is that he acknowledges their grief. He says, you will grieve and mourn. Grief is okay. It is okay to be grieved and sorrowful when things aren't right, when we see things in the world, when we see things in our lives that we don't like. It is okay to grieve those. Jesus acknowledges that, but there is a joy he wants to uh, impart in the midst of it. Jesus also transforms the disciples' grief. In verse 20, he says, your grief will turn into joy. And this wasn't a cancellation. It wasn't a replacement. It was a transformation. It wasn't a, oh man, he's died. Oh wait, he's alive. It's a, oh man, he died. Oh man, he died. Do you hear the difference? Oh man, he died because they knew what it meant. The reason for the pain, the reason for the um, suffering, the reason for the grief became the reason for the joy. Nothing changed. He, was, he still died. He was still in the grave. And then he rose again. And the reason for the pain became the reason for the joy. What an incredible transformation. And Jesus uses the example of childbirth here probably the only man who could ever talk about childbirth and get away with it. I'm glad there were no women in the room when Jesus was like, now childbirth, and they go, mm, tell me about that, you know? Brave, but he is the only one who could do it because he created the process, right? He knows it, he knows it. But it's quite an apt metaphor I think he uses. He says, like a woman going through childbirth, there is pain and the contractions and the agony of the pre-birth is then matched in some way by new life coming out on the other side. And the child is the reason for the pain, but the child is the reason for the joy. And, and, and I just want to take a moment to talk about, I know in this room there will be a multitude of stories of childbirth and some of you may not have felt that joy straight away afterwards. I know for Gabriel and I, going through the birth of Hadassah, it was pretty traumatic, and I know there's stories in this room that would be hard to hear too, but if you didn't have that joy straight away, Jesus isn't saying you did it wrong. You know, there's so much that's outside of your control during childbirth, but what he is saying here is using it as a metaphor. There is a reason for the pain that becomes the reason for the joy. Childbirth is agony and painful, but the result of that, when the mother, when the father sees this beautiful new life in time, whether it's straight away or whether it's in time, it becomes a joyful thing. And there's a Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher of the 1800s, he says, notice one thing about the scriptures. Post the crucifixion, every single reference to the cross is not one of grief. Every single reference is one of victory, one of joy, and one of triumph. No one looks back on the cross and goes, oh, oh man, that was just a terrible, terrible thing. They look back on the cross and they go, oh my gosh, he died for me. He changed the world. 
It's not a look back in pain and sorrow. It's a look back in victory. And what a God we serve if he can take the most awful, terrible, painful thing that could ever happen, the murder of his son, and transform that into the most incredible, beautiful, world-changing, life-changing thing. What could he do in your life? What could he do in this city? What pain, sorrow, turmoil, angst, grief could he take and turn it into something beautiful. In Psalm 30, the psalmist writes, God, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. We serve the one who can take atrocity and turn it into salvation, who can take grief and turn it into joy. What a God we serve today. So Jesus acknowledges grief. He says he's going to transform it into something beautiful. But what is this joy? And how do we get it? Verse 22, Jesus says to them, So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again. And you will rejoice. And no one will take that joy from you. I will see you again. You will rejoice and no one will be able to take it away from you. Jesus will see you again. You will rejoice and no one will be able to take it away from you. This is an indomitable joy. That word means invincible, irrepressible, unstoppable, irreplaceable. Nothing can impact that joy. And so do you see where this joy comes from? This joy that we have comes from gazing and adoring the beauty of our resurrected Messiah. That is the source of biblical joy. It is permanent because of what Jesus said to his disciples a little earlier in John 14, 19. He says to them, because I live, you also will live. This is the promise for us. This is the promise for the world that if you put your hope in Jesus Christ, death isn't the end. Death is not the end. Because he lives, we will live. What on earth can anyone do to you? What on earth can anyone say to you? What on earth can anyone take away from you? This is why people hated Paul. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. They beat him up. They tortured him. They put him in prison. He was shipwrecked. He went through hell on earth, and yet he was still praising God. He was joyful. How frustrating would it be to try and get at Paul? Hey, stop talking about Jesus or we'll kill you. Well, I guess it'll be with Jesus. Okay, well, then you stay alive. Well, to live is Christ. (laughs) That is the joy that Paul carried, the joy that we can have. It is this constant current. The waves may be crashing on the ocean of your life. It may feel like a mess up there, but underneath there is this joy, I'm saved. Jesus died for me. He's coming again. It brings perspective. It brings clarity. It brings consistency, no matter what we're going through. You know, and our situation is a little bit different to the disciples. They saw him with their eyes. It would be so awesome to see him with my eyes, but... Peter has some encouragement for us who who haven't. In Peter 1, 8 to 9, he says to us, and he says to believers around the world, though you have not seen him, you love him. 
And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Here is the reason for our joy. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to earth and lived a perfect life, the life that we couldn't live. And then he willingly went to a cross where he would be beaten, tortured, and killed. All part of his perfect plan to bring fallen humanity, sinful humanity, back into relationship with him. On that cross, he satisfied God's rightful, just wrath against sin. Sin needed to be punished, but only an infinite being could take the infinite weight of sin. And so he hung there for me, and he hung there for you. But by doing so, he satisfied that payment. And then he died. He died, but he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave, proving he was king, proving he was God, proving that death was defeated, and proving that if we put our faith in him, we too will live forever. Forever, Death is not the end for us. And so it is our joy in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that will make the world sit up and take notice. This is joy. Joy disconnected from the finished work of Jesus Christ cannot carry you. Joy disconnected from the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross will not sustain you through this life. Why? Joy in your finances or in your wealth. The economy can change on a dime. We are not in control of our money as much as we think we are. And what are you going to do with all that money when you die? Joy in finances? No. Joy in your health. Aging catches up to everyone. No one gets out of life alive, right? <laughs> health fades. Joy in your health? Seems like a waste of time. Joy in something that is anchored outside of time, anchored in the risen Jesus Christ, is the only thing, hear me, the only thing that will carry you through. And I hope you can feel that today, this joy. And of course, of course, there are going to be times in our lives of grief and sorrow and pain. Like I said at the start, any message on joy disconnected from our reality doesn't speak hope to us. Joy won't fix the situation. Joy won't make that, necessarily make that pain go away, but it speaks to it. Even while I was writing this message, I was sitting at my kitchen table and, and a text message came through that Gabriel and I were expecting with some really hard news for us. And I was griefed. And Gabriel came into the room and we sat and we held each other and we cried and I thought, God, your timing is sick, but this is fine. It, is. it was a moment for me to put into practice what I'm preaching now. There was a moment of grief, and I'd just been soaking in biblical joy. And so the grief was tempered. We cried. We held each other. We acknowledged that this was sad and this was painful. And then I looked at Gabriel when I said, hey, but Jesus is alive, right? And it, and it shaped it. It shaped that moment for us. It brought some clarity. It brought some perspective. And it brought worship. Because it reminded us that this life is not the only one. This isn't what we're living for. 
There is more. There is more. And so what do we need to do? What can we do to stir up this joy, to remind ourselves of this joy? One thing to do is, as often as you can, wherever you can, as much as you can, call to mind the beauty of Jesus Christ. If you're not feeding on him, if you're not dwelling on him, if we're not worshipping him, is it any wonder that our source of joy or that peace or that contentment or that delight doesn't seem to be there? I said it a couple of weeks ago, we need to fill our lives with things that stir up affection for Jesus Christ and then cut out of our lives the things that will rob us of that affection. What is competing for the joy in your heart today? What is competing for the throne of your heart with Jesus Christ? And we can preach to ourselves. One of my favorite verses is from Psalm 42, where the psalmist sort of talks to his own soul. He says, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. As Jamie and the band comes up, think about that. The psalmist is preaching to his soul. He is saying, come on, man. Why are you so downcast? What's going on? What's gripped your heart? What is grieving you? Put your hope in God. It's almost like he's banging his chest saying, come on. Come on. Yes, this is painful. Yes, this sucks. But what's going on underneath? What is the more? Where is the joy? Jesus Christ cannot be put back in the grave. Jesus Christ cannot be uncrucified. He cannot be dragged down from heaven. He cannot be beaten. He cannot be usurped. He's untouchable. Nothing can undo what has been done. How does that speak to you this morning? How does that frame whatever you're going through this morning? It won't take the situation away, but I hope that it speaks to it. Is there going to be pain in this life? Yes. But Jesus Christ died for your sins. Is there going to be sorrow in this life? Yes. But Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Is there going to be suffering in this life? Yes. But he's coming back. And if your name is written in the book of life, if his name is written, if your name is written on his heart, he's already got you. He says, you're mine. I love you. I'm coming back for you. And death is not the end. Death is not the end.